Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good to see you here today. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that through Christ Jesus, our Lord, you have placed us all into one body, the body of Christ, the body of believers, your church, your people. We thank you that through faith in him, we can be in the family of God. Father, we pray that today you will bless our time together, that we would truly be bound together in your spirit, in love. Father, we pray that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would honor you and glorify you today, that your son, Jesus, our Lord, would be rightly exalted 
that you would be honored and glorified and that we would enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. We ask these things in the name of our Lord. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is taken once again from Matthew's Gospel, 5th chapter. Picking up with where we left off last week, verse 11. Matthew 5, 11. Jesus says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. If you're opening your Bibles, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and... Along the way, we will be stopping in the book of Acts, chapter 14 as well. But not for very long, but just something to touch on there. Gentlemen, if we do not hang together, I can assure you, we will hang separately. Those words were spoken by Benjamin Franklin to the 55 other delegates who joined him at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to consider the matter of declaring independence from Great Britain, politically restructuring the colonies to be free and independent states. And he recognized the seriousness of the moment. Gentlemen, if we don't hang together, I assure you, we will hang separately by our necks was the implication of what he said because they were considering a very weighty matter their declaration of independence was going to be viewed by the king across the pond as high treason high treason to the crown it was a serious moment that seriousness was reflected in a well-known and popular political cartoon of that time period It was a drawing that depicted the 13 British colonies and they were linked up in the form of a snake. A snake that had 13 pieces. Pieces that were cut apart. And the caption at the bottom of the cartoon said, join or die. It reflected a popular wives' tale of that time that if a snake got cut up into pieces, if that snake's pieces were rejoined together before the sun set, that snake would come back to life. And so that political cartoon encouraged the people of the colonies, you're separated by a lot of differences economically, politically, regionally, 
You've got to lay those differences aside because there's not much time left. It's getting late in the day. You're like a snake that needs to be reassembled if it has any shot at surviving. You must join or die. Reach into my pocket. Brought something with me today. I brought a United States quarter. don't know if I can even tell you what year it is. 1989 is the date on this mint. My 44-year-old eyes had to get a magnifying glass out this morning to find what I know is on this coin. I know it's there. Without the magnifying glass, I don't have much chance of seeing it. Maybe you can relate. But it's a Latin phrase. E pluribus unum. It means out of many, one. And it reflects what happened at that moment in time when 13 colonies that were separated by many differences nonetheless came together through their delegates to that continental convention. They drafted a document declaring their political independence from Great Britain. And out of many colonies and many peoples, one nation was born. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. And I I mention these things not just because we celebrate the anniversary of our nation's independence this week, but also because it has relevance to the text that we're going to be reading together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verses 4 through 11. Keep that phrase, out of many, one, in your mind. The Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 12, Now there are different gifts. He's talking about gifts of the Spirit. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries or, or ways of serving, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, the interpretation of languages. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as He wills. Many gifts, but one spirit. This was an important concept for the Apostle Paul to stress to the Corinthian believers. Remember, most of them, most of them were Gentiles who had no background in the Hebrew Scriptures, which revealed the true and living God of Israel. No, most of these people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they had left idolatry. They had left polytheism, the worship of many gods. And part and parcel with that polytheism that they had practiced their entire lives up until coming to faith in Christ 
when they heard the gospel. Part of it was an understanding that there were many gods and each god had his or her own area of expertise. His or her own sphere of activity and influence. So, for example... If you wanted to be healed of a sickness, it's only natural that you would go to the temple of Apollo and you would offer a sacrifice because Apollo was the god of healing and medicine. If you wanted to gain skill in public speaking, well, you'd need to do business with the god Hermes because he was the messenger. He was the god of speeches. Each god had their own area of expertise and people would pray to these gods and offer sacrifices in hopes of getting that god's favor with whatever particular need they had. You went to the expert, so to speak. We can see this kind of idea reflected in Acts chapter 14. You don't have to turn to it, but if you want to, it's Acts chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 11. Paul and his associate Barnabas, they have gone to distant lands, distant cities with the gospel of Jesus, preaching the gospel to Gentiles who'd never heard of Jesus before. Verse 11, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, Paul had just healed someone. They shouted, saying in their language, The gods have come down to us in human form. They called Barnabas Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes, because Paul was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their clothes when they heard this and they rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you and we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and everything in them. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. These people identified Paul and Barnabas based upon what they were doing and the skills that they were exhibiting. And they decided that Paul, since he was the main speaker and the chief messenger, Paul must be Hermes, the messenger god, the god of speaking. That gives us some insight into the way the minds of these people have been trained to think. But now they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, these believers here in Corinth. And now they are living in an amazing new world. One in which God is not an idol that does not see, does not hear, does not speak, does not move and act. But no, God is very much present and alive and speaking in their midst through the Holy Spirit and through the gifts that he has given to all of his people there in Corinth. It's amazing. And for those who are experiencing the gifts of the Spirit it might be tempting to think that these gifts are coming to them by means of some different gods or different spirits. And Paul says, I want to squash that notion right now. There are many gifts 
And yes, in the past, you may have been accustomed to thinking that the many gifts came from many gods, but I'm here to tell you something different. You have come to the true and living God through faith in Jesus Christ, and there is only one Spirit, one Spirit who is working in your midst in many different ways and has distributed many different gifts to you folks. And it's for one purpose. It's for building up the body of Christ. Looking back at our text again, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Different gifts, the same Spirit. Different ministries or areas of service, but the same Lord. Different activities, but the same God. There you have it. I don't want you to miss it. It's, it's maybe a minor point in our discussion today, but there you have the Trinity right there. One Spirit, one Lord, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Paul says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. He mentions some of the gifts here. I don't believe that this is an exhaustive list by any means. But he says to one, verse 8, is given a message of wisdom. But wisdom is skill in living. Each one of us needs wisdom. And Paul is indicating that some of the members of Christ's body are given special insight into how to live skillfully. And they are a resource for the whole body of Christ. We can turn to these people when we are in a situation where we need good counsel Good advice. God's Spirit gives wisdom to another, a message of knowledge. Through God's Spirit, some of us have received knowledge in the Scriptures. This is a resource for the body of Christ. There are members in the body that each one of us can turn to to gain the knowledge that we need. Knowledge for living and knowledge for understanding God's Word. Let's see what else is in this list here. To another, faith. I hope that there's a person that you can look to in your life over the course of your life, a person who had enough faith to carry you when your faith was failing. God's Spirit gives supernatural faith and it's a resource for the body of Christ. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. Now, in, in the day that Paul wrote this, the New Testament wasn't written. It was being written. You couldn't go to the bookstore or order it from Amazon and say, hey, I want a New Testament. The prophets of the Lord, like Paul and others, were revealing the word of the Lord to God's people as they went along. And many times this was happening in their church meetings. There were those who had gifts of prophecy. And um, oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of just this idea of telling the future, right? That's, that's usually what we associate prophecy with. And the truth is, in the Bible, prophecy, telling the future, that's just one aspect of prophecy. And usually the prediction of the future by the word of the Lord, that was only done as a way to confirm the message of the Lord. The prophet would speak a message of the Lord to God's people 
God's people would say, how do we know that this message came from the Lord? And it's not just the, the prophet saying something he's, he's thinking or feeling. How can we know? That message would be verified and backed up with sometimes the working of a miracle or sometimes a healing or sometimes a prediction with the idea that, hey, in the name of the Lord, I'm predicting something that there is no way I could possibly know. And there's no way I could expect this to for sure come true. But when it comes true, you will know that the word I have spoken was a word of the Lord because I couldn't have predicted this any other way. You see how that works? So we think of prophecy as being prediction. That's just a part of it. Prophecy is speaking the word of the Lord. And that's what was going on in their day and age. They didn't have a finished Bible, a completed New Testament. The apostles were ministering the gospel and were speaking the word of the Lord to his people. And lucky us, we have it. Sometimes it might be tempting to think, man, I wish I was alive in those days. How exciting would that have been to live in the days of the apostles? Healings, miracles, prophecy. I'm sure it would have been exciting. But don't think for a moment that you are not still today living in the days of the apostles. Oh no, we very much are living in the days of the apostles. Not that there are new apostles in our day and age, but the apostles still speak to us today through their prophecy. A prophecy which was confirmed by the works of the Spirit, by healings, by miracles, by works of the Lord, by predictions that came true. Their word was made sure to us. We actually have a huge advantage over that first generation of believers. You can find in places in the New Testament where that generation of believers is told, you have to test every spirit. You have to test every prophecy. It's vitally important that you put it to the test. And it was. Because they didn't have this finished, completed revelation of the will of God. They had to test everything. It was a regular exercise when they went to church. Think about things that are regular things for us when we get to church. We do things like a call to worship. We read the scripture. We have an opening prayer, an invocation. We've got a benediction at the end of the service. We sing some hymns, prayer requests, children's sermon. We've got our standard things that we do. They did too. And one of those standard things was testing prophecy. Because God's word was still being spoken and delivered and revealed. They had to put it to the test. And they did. And we have this. Thank God. We still live in the days of the apostles. They speak to us today. And it's a confirmed, sure word. Okay, that's enough about prophecy. Continuing on, uh, we're in verse 10. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Oh boy, I just talked about that, didn't I? Putting prophecy to the test, distinguishing between spirits to see if it's of the Lord or if it's another spirit that's speaking, a false spirit. To another, different kinds of tongues. The, the word literally means languages. And in 
every place I can find in the scripture except for one place where it's questionable, that word tongues, it refers to known languages. Languages that you could go to the bookstore and get an English to Spanish or German to English. Known tongues, known languages. And the Spirit of God was doing some really fast work in that generation. Today, in our generation, if a person is going to prepare to go to another people group to minister in the gospel, they're going to be a missionary. They know they have to learn the language. They have to learn the culture. They have to learn the customs. They have to learn how to reach these, speak, these people and speak to them in a way they can understand. And a lot of schooling and a lot of work goes into that. And even then, some people are really gifted by God's Spirit to do that. Some people can learn languages very easily. Some people have an amazing giftedness for languages. In that generation, that first generation, when the old covenant was wrapping up and coming to an end, and the people of God were coming to a moment of crisis in their world. Oh, the Holy Spirit had to speed up the process and do some really fast work so that the gospel of Jesus could go far and wide to reach every nation, to reach every language, every people group who needed to hear. And so the Spirit of God supernaturally equipped people to speak languages that they didn't even know. In some cases, The person speaking the language didn't even know what they were saying. God's spirit was moving and speaking through them to communicate a message. But there were others who were given, it says right here, to another interpretation of languages. You had situations in the local church in that day where someone would stand up and would begin speaking in a language that they didn't know. Maybe there was only one person in that room that that message was for, who knew that language. But what about the rest of the people? Well, someone would be gifted by the Spirit to stand up and say, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't speak that language, but I can interpret it for you. I can tell you what it means. And they were supernaturally equipped by God's Spirit to give an accurate interpretation of what was just spoken so everyone could be built up and encouraged by it. There was some amazing stuff going on. But I'm here to tell you, it wasn't people just speaking gibberish. It was people speaking known languages for a purpose. And those languages were being interpreted so that people could benefit from it. It wasn't just saying stuff. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person As he wills. Many gifts, one spirit. Many members, one body. Picking up in verse 12. Paul uses the picture of a body. To explain what is going on with the church. He calls it Christ's body. He says, for just as the body is one and has many parts. And all the parts of that body, though many are one body. So also is Christ. Christ's body. We are one body, many parts. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Don't think for a second that when we leave this life, 
and enter into God's presence and walk the streets of gold that we're going to find Baptist neighborhoods and Methodist neighborhoods and Catholic districts. It's not like that. We were all baptized by one spirit into one name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Indeed, the body, verse 14, the body is not one part, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's not any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It's not for that reason any less a part of the body. Think of it. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. If they were all the same part, where would the body be? You can't have a body if you just have one part. No, there are many gifts. There are many members. There is one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are actually indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we end up clothing those with greater honor. Our unrespectable parts that we don't want showing get treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts don't need. Instead, God has put the body together giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Pause for a second. Division in the body. That was the problem in that church. If we go back to chapter 11, when Paul gives instructions regarding the Lord's Supper, communion, what was the problem? Division in the body. Some people were getting there early and were going ahead and having a feast and gorging themselves. Other people showing up later and there was nothing left. People were being dishonored, shamed. There was division in the body. What a problem it was. Paul says, ministering in the church, using the gifts that the Spirit has given you. He says, I can see how it's a problem for you guys. You're divided. You're not using the gifts of the Spirit to build one another up. Verse 26, if one member of the body suffers, all of the members suffer with it. You know that's true. Whether it's a backache, a toothache, or a splinter in your finger. If one part's hurting, the whole thing suffers. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. Paul gives us a little list here, what he considers to be his list of priority gifts in the administration of the church. He recognizes that Christ appointed apostles to reveal God's word and second prophets. Prophets worked in close coordination with the apostles to reveal God's word to his people. Third, teachers. Different Christians have different opinions on this matter. Some Christians do hold that God still uses 
new apostles and new prophets today to speak his word. And other Christians hold that once God's revelation was completed, that those gifts were set aside. That happens to be the position I take, but it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And I certainly don't want to divide with any Christians over it. But I do believe that God completed his revelation through his apostles and prophets. And so today, that leads us to teachers. Teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping. Did you ever think about just helping being a supernatural gift of the Spirit? I knew a man who understood that that was his gift. And he used it to the fullest. He said, my gift is helping. And he did. Any way, anyhow he could. He helped. And what a marvelous gift it was. In my way of thinking, it was the greatest gift I've ever seen in action. We might like to think about flashy things like healings and miracles, but this was a man who just knew what he was gifted to do. He was gifted to help, and he did it, and he did it well. And what a blessing and benefit it was to brothers and sisters around him. Gifts of healing, helping, leading. Some people are equipped to lead. I know one very well. I, I'm, I'm very closely related to a natural-born leader, and I'm not ashamed to say my wife is naturally gifted to lead and administrate. It's a beautiful thing to see in action. If I try to lead, it's like trying to push a rope across the road. If I try to lead, it's like trying to herd cats. It doesn't work. I'm not a natural. I'm not naturally equipped and gifted. But she is, and others like her are too. Gifted by the Spirit to lead. And people get in line and follow. Various kinds of tongues or languages. Uh, we knew a young lady from our youth group when we ministered at a church in the area many years ago. This young girl, she loved languages. And she decided one day, I'd like to learn Japanese. And she did. And then one day she decided, I'd really like to visit China someday. She said, well, I better know the language before I go. So she learned Chinese. Like, who does that? Someone who is equipped and gifted for that sort of thing. So Paul gives us this little list, and I don't think it's an exhaustive list of gifts. But then in verse 29, he talks about it. He says, are all apostles? The, the answer's implied in the question. Of course not. Not all are apostles. Are all prophets? Of course not. Are all teachers? Of course not. Do all do miracles? Absolutely not. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, of course not. The answer is implied and understood. In the body of Christ, not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone is a healer, a miracle worker, an apostle, a prophet, what have you. Don't compare yourselves. Don't compare the gift that you've been given by God's Spirit with the gift that He chose to give to somebody else. That won't do any good. Do like the man that I told you about who understood what his gift was. His gift was helping. 
I suppose a person could say, that's not the gift I wanted to have. Be grateful for the gift that God's Spirit has given to you and use it because He wants you to use it. He wants you to use it in the body of Christ. Paul says in verse 31, desire the greater gifts. This phrase can be taken two different ways. Scholars are divided on how this should read. Most translations are going to have it just like it says right here. That Paul is giving an imperative. That he's saying, hey listen Corinthians, you need to desire the greater gifts. I think that's a pretty good reading because later in the passage and in the next chapter, this seems to come up again. It seems that some of the Corinthians have been placing a very high degree of importance on one or two gifts in particular. And these are gifts that Paul would say, yes, they're important gifts of the Spirit, but if you want to try to prioritize things, they're, they're definitely not at the top. If you want the, the biggest, greatest gift that you could reach for, it would be to faithfully speak and reveal the word of the Lord to his people. Remember, that's what was going on back in that day. God's word was being spoken and revealed. It wasn't written yet. So Paul seems to be saying, you Corinthians are kind of getting off track. You're majoring in minors. And if I had to give you a piece of advice, I'd tell you, you should be reaching for the gifts that are of the greatest service to the greatest number of people in the body of Christ. And my way of seeing it would be revealing God's will and word to his people. That benefits everyone, everywhere, for a long time. Another way of reading that, though, and I think it's worth mentioning, because I think it's a valid reading. It could be that Paul is saying, you Corinthians are wanting and desiring what you perceive to be the greater gifts. And you're placing so much emphasis on what you want and trying to draw glory and recognition to yourself for the gift that you have, that you're totally missing the whole point of the gift, which is to serve one another in the body. That's a possible reading. I just wanted you to be aware of it. I'm not sure that is what he's saying here, but it works. But that leads into something that the apostle is going to show us that makes all of that debate about whether there are greater gifts or lesser gifts, it makes it completely moot. It doesn't even matter. He wraps it up here in verse 31. He says, I will show you an even better way, a more excellent way. He's been talking about the gifts that God has given through his spirit for members of the body of Christ to serve one another. Maybe the Corinthians have been getting really hung up on which gifts they have and which ones are more important than others. Paul says, lay all that aside because I'm going to show you something that far outweighs any of that. There are many gifts, one spirit. There are many members, one body. There are many means of serving. But there's one way. Only one way. And that way is the way of love. He's talked about that word love countless different ways, countless different occasions. Sometimes he talks about preferring each one one above another. Looking not on your own interests, but the interests of others. 
build one another up. That's biblical love. Seeking the welfare and the good of the other ahead of yourself and your own interests. That's biblical love. And Paul says, that is the way. And that outstrips everything else. Don't worry what gift you don't have. However the Spirit of God has equipped you and gifted you, use it for His glory and use it in this way, the way of love, to build one another up so that the whole body benefits and is blessed. And that leads us right into the next chapter, which we won't read today, but you know it as the love chapter. Love, the Apostle Paul says, is the way. Follow love, and you won't go wrong, is what he tells the Corinthians. It's what he tells us. That's the word of the Lord through the apostles to us. Follow the way of love. Put each one ahead of yourself. Don't seek your own interests. Seek the interests of your brother and your sister. And build them up in the Lord. That's love. And that's how the gifts are supposed to work. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that through your written word, we do still live very much in the days of the apostles. The word that you spoke through them continues to speak to us today. It has much to say to us about one spirit who has given many gifts, many members, but one body in Christ Jesus. Many means of serving, but only one way to serve the way of love, the way of Christ. Thank you for your word. Help us to learn by it, to walk according to it. Please forgive us where we fall short of it. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.